0: Hello and welcome to Leadership, the Future and Tea, a podcast hosted by Andy Davis featuring Ian Moffat, Deborah Hartung, and Hit and Bat, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. Welcome, everybody, to Leadership, the Future and Tea, podcast um, with Andy Davis, Hit and Bat, and Deborah, and unfortunately not Ian Moffat, but he's here in spirit. So uh, welcome, everybody. How are you doing? Very well, Andy. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. Yeah, Deborah?
1: you with us great thanks andy yes i'm fantastic
0: fantastic well we're going to go with this we want to talk about wellness this week and uh, we've we've just been chatting offline there and saying that wellness is about uh, the biggest View of wellness going, and I'm not going to get into some ethereal discussion about the difference between wellness and well being. So, if that upsets anybody to begin with, I'm really sorry, I do apologize. But we're taking it as the most widest uh, construct today. Uh, We can have various different debates about what wellness means to people, uh, and uh, my my favorite actually is, is probably from one of the great resources I'm going to talk about later. From Carrie Cooper, which is looking at things like uh, psychological wellness, physical wellness, societal, mm. and psychological. And that psychological wellness is actually mm. the bit that really stands out. And that's probably the bit at work that we we talk about more than anything, where we focus on. Mm. But um listen, let's let's make a start because this is this is a huge subject, and let's not uh, let's not assume this is like in little silos that we're going to discuss because it isn't Hitan, can you start us off and just let's have a chat about what is meant by wellness and why should leaders invest in this
2: sure sure I mean there's so many different wellness is going to mean different things to different people and to me what wellness means is you are happy and balanced in your life simple Happiness yes. and balanced. that's an interesting word balanced isn't it okay let's go yeah and why should leaders invest in this is because I think that if you just look at the current situation that we're in, right, this pandemic came out of the blue almost. It suddenly took shape and changed all our lives. And we ended up in such unprecedented times where so many things were up in the air and school shop, we were homeschooling and our things to do list and our schedule and all the things we had planned for 2020, I'm sure for a lot of people when I,
0: Oh yeah,
2: Uh, you know, and um, I think that it's been such an uncertain time and I know mental well being in the workplace and wellness and all of this sort of thing. There was a lot of talk about it before COVID-19, but now after this pandemic and after we're trying to sort of find our feet back, yeah, still so much uncertainty nobody really knows i i I think there's there's so much uh mixed messages you know are schools starting up are they not starting up all of a sudden the people that you know so many people found themselves having to learn teaching skills to be able to, to homeschool homeschool their children and you know i think it's just been so strange um you know in terms so, of sounds like you're describing it as an opportunity then for for a wellness strategy uh, yeah well i think i think I, I think what it is is that it's it's made wellness a more important part of life and i think that employers need to really focus in on it because of people suffering this uncertainty this stress yeah. this this anxiety this feeling of not knowing And the bottom line is why is it important? Is because happy people are productive people. And it has a direct result in terms, because there's two things. There's a thing that the business wants, isn't there? There's the the, the business wants productivity, the business wants to make sales, the business wants to make money. And the drivers for making money and productivity are people. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very simple. But if your people are stressed, and feel a great deal of anxiety uh, and uncertainty, and they're not functioning very well. And psychological health can help, you know, affect your physical health. Your your physical and mental well-being are connected. Yeah. And, you know, you're taking time off work, or you're not as productive as work at, at work. You're not performing to the best of your ability. You're not going to get the best out of your people and your team. So there's a direct business correlation, and that's why I think focusing, especially now. As we're trying to return to our normal or our new normal, as they say, is yeah, yeah. For businesses to really and leaders to really focus on the wellness of their staff and their employees. It makes business sense.
0: So so that's that, that's interesting that you get down to the business sense. And Deborah, jump in here if you want. Right. Because um, I'm going to stoke the fire. So for me, wellness strategy, the, the fundamental reason for it is two reasons. OK, uh, the first one is to reduce your cost on the basis that you reduce absenteeism and increase productivity and and actually that's the pure business reason for doing it there might be a a a secondary reason for that which is about uh, talent attraction as well but i'm going to stick with reducing absenteeism and increasing productivity and i'm happy to be shot down at that point
1: (laughs) no not at all you're you're 100 right you know and i think this for me is almost like when we spoke about change you know there's your business case for change and then there's your case for change kind of the sales angle you know your business case for wellness is exactly what you and Hiten are saying it is happier healthier people Mm -hmm. um you know stay or or not taking time off work um it costs your company less on health care and they're more productive and higher performing. So there's your, you know, more productive, yeah. higher performing, better profits. There's your business case. But then, of course, there's also the human factor. You know, you, you talk about a secondary reason. Um, and and sometimes for a lot of people, that's the overarching reason is that they exactly. actually care yeah. about, yeah. you know, their fellow human beings and want people to be happy and healthy.
0: Yeah.
2: I, Yeah. What what'd you write in here, I Tan? Think, I think during this pandemic, I mean, I've certainly had conversations uh with um leaders and uh employers sort of um really talking to me about how they're concerned about their employees
0: yeah
2: like genuine concern you know um sort of going out saying you know it's okay i'm okay i'm i'm sort of financially set but i'm really worried about sort of putting my staff on furlough or 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 Mm -hmm. make redundant you know and the, what has come across is a genuine care for other people. It's not just always about, you know, what you can do for me and what I can do for you. And it's not always just transactional. And and what's really what's really been quite nice to see, certainly in the conversations that I've had, is a yeah. very empathetic, compassionate boss and employer. And, and And that's been really lovely to see.
0: Yeah. I, and I think, as I've, I think I've said before on these these podcasts, that uh, again, in, in in months and years to come, people will still look back on the COVID era mm-hmm. and judge an employer or a prospective employer on how they actually dealt with their employees during the COVID experience. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that will actually be the determining point whether they apply or not. And and again, I encourage candidates in the future to uh, at the end of any interview to actually turn around to a prospective employer and say, yeah, I've got a question for you. Uh, how did you treat your people during COVID-19? Because yeah. actually that will be a really powerful um, judgment moment for the employee and the employer as to whether people's wellness was actually put above the uh, the, the basis of profit. And um, yeah, let's, let's wait and see. I, I think that all those stories are yet to come. And I still think that there's more stories yet to come about people who have been really fantastic at supporting employees Mm. through COVID and who haven't. And when I looked just before we came on the podcast, uh, as of today, there was 1,900 um, fraudulent cases of furlough being investigated by the government. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think that that starts to give you a flavour for what will come out over the next year or two of this. Mm-hmm. So Deborah, help us out then. Right. So we accept that wellness is a good thing. It's definitely I I, I believe it is. So I'm passionate about the fact it should be there for all the business reasons and, and all the human reasons as well. But what does a good wellness strategy look like?
1: Oh, I think that's such a loaded question, and I think that's a <laughs> that's a whole you know podcast on its own. But I think if if I have to cherry pick some of the the best ones that I've seen, um, you know, Hiten has touched on it. Firstly, we need to understand that wellness is is it needs to be a cohesive approach. You yeah. know, um, it's not just about physical wellness. Um, it's also about mental health and about emotional well, well-being as well. Um, so first and foremost, I think any strategy needs to accept that and make provision for both the physical and the mental at the very least. Yeah, um, and then I think the things that we need for a really good strategy, um, the most important always in anything that we do is is leadership, involvement, and sponsorship. You know, the more involved you are as a leader, the better your uptake is going to be within the organization, the more people are going to participate. Um, Then accessibility, I think it's very, very important initiatives that I've really seen work um, are are branded separately you know it, it's it's got its own ah, brand okay. it's got a, interesting. it's got a place where it lives in yeah. the organization um, it is linked to some kind of recognition and reward system mm-hmm. um, and it's also it's also consistent you know so a lot of companies will launch a wellness initiative and there'll be a big oh it's a big launch you yeah. know and lots of fanfare and then it dies down. And to make it successful, you need to really be consistent. So if you go and look at like an annual calendar, you know, there's there's months that are set aside on the global calendar and different say, days yeah. for diabetes awareness and HIV yeah. AIDS awareness and, you know, um, breast cancer and yep. all kinds of different things. And I think, you know, just making it consistent and and keeping it fresh and keeping it fun. So that okay. people keep on coming back because there's something happening all the time. And then the next one, and and I think very, very importantly here, is personalization. You know, again, mm. understanding that one size doesn't fit all. So yes. just because you've made a gym available for me, you mm. know, on the top floor in our offices, um, doesn't mean that I'm going to use it. That's and right. doesn't mean that you can now sit back and say, Oh, you've got a you've got a <laughs> wellness program, you know, or because there's a toll-free yep. number that I can that I can call for the employee assistance program, you can mm. sit back and say, You have a wellness program, you know. So yeah, it's really about personalization and, and that's why it's also important for your wellness program to have a brand and to live somewhere. Um, and that's one of the things that I really love about people first as a system, yep. is that we can do that and we can say you know um the people who are into crossfit they've got a whole separate it's almost a a, a subculture that's right
0: yeah they've got their own community to
1: people yes compared to people who are into yoga and you know and then i found that just making it making wellness easier for people so having Mm. like champions almost like we do for change you know Um, having champions throughout the workplace who are consistently encouraging people to take breaks making sure that there's water everywhere yeah, um, yeah having having walking routes you know if you've got a cafeteria or a canteen or you're um, subsidizing meals make sure that the default options are healthier
0: got it um, I'm with you
1: as a, as opposed to the pie and chips you know yeah so, exactly. so those for me really <laughs> work
0: mm. So. I, I I love I love the fact of give it its own brand um, and where I've seen initiatives and, and all sorts of different initiatives in in businesses have their own brand. I think that that develops something quite quickly. Here's a question for you, though, and for both of you. Who owns
2: a wellness strategy within a business, though? I think I think leadership has a massive, massive part to play in um, the well, uh, wellness strategy in terms of in terms of owning it. Mm. Uh, everybody does everybody everybody, everybody's a stakeholder in terms of uh, contributing to that to wellness program but just coming back to that point about um, psychological health and emotional health because yes you can have a gym and you can have bananas and apples in the canteen and you know you can have a treadmill xyz and that's your physical Yeah, yeah body but what really causes stress what really causes anxiety for people is how they're managed yeah. uh, what really causes people to actually take time off work uh, with a stress related illness is basically they've been overworked or they've been they've got a poor boss they've got it's yeah. they've they've, 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 yeah. they've, they've, they've not got a very compassionate empathetic boss and or manager and i think at this particular period of time with, with us all trying to adjust and get mm. some sort of normality. We've been through so much. This is why I think leadership and and, and people that are in charge of teams they are in a management position, they have got to be, or develop the skills of compassion, emotional intelligence, and yeah. empathy, mm. and listening, and understanding. You know, not just stress. You know, being very careful in terms of how they speak to people, how they speak to their staff, how they listen, how they understand. That you know, um, you know, she's she's got her kids at home at the same time, as well as trying to you know yeah. do X, Y, Z. You know, understand about uh, time, you know, timetable and scheduling and deadlines and putting pressure on people. Yeah, I get um, that. So. Let, let me let me tell you this one then that
0: uh, I read it was only yesterday, I, I think, which again brings about the the wellness of people at work really to the fore and of the role of leaders. Okay. And this is this is true, true case out in France um, this week that a guy had uh, been em- employed at a firm for many years. Uh, the firm through you know, you know, just normal sort of ebbs and flows of businesses had lost a major contract. And where he, he was uh, the manager of a busy department before, he was now effectively the manager of nothing. And he was he was just reduced to doing menial tasks. And for, for this guy, it, it just started the spiral of depression and, and, and other issues. And long story short, he'd, he'd ended up obviously uh, leaving the company and taking them to court. And eventually he, he won his case. And, and he, he won his case not on the not on the event of burnout, but actually on the opposite of, of boredom. Of, <laughs> honestly, I think I saw,
2: that post. I think I yeah. saw that post this morning on that. I just, yeah. And bore it's out. Like yeah. bore
0: out. That's what it's called. Bore out. The fact that yeah. he, you know that that is what had actually driven him out of his job, and if you think about it, that that the the resultant of that pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and whether it's over overwork or underwork, it's still a pressure. Actually mm-hmm. resulted in in uh, the depression for him. So so again, that the, the ownership is is really key, and uh, and on this one, it's really difficult for leaders. I think that uh, where you want to lead a wellness strategy. You've got to pick a champion normally. that's what you you know, you, mm. you I hit end Ian would all say right Deborah, we'd all say that pick a champion and you know you make make somebody the the kind of go-to person the the example of it and everything mm. and um, and on this one I, I I worked with a company some years ago where they introduced a wholesale wellness strategy um, and it was for, for many thousands of people and the leader of that company, by his own admission, Um, he was a smoker he was a drinker he he probably would also say that he wasn't in the best of physical health and when he sat with his leadership team he said it can't be me right (laughs) he he said it it can't be me it's all of us we're all in it right every one of us can actually Mm. sit around this table as a leadership team and contribute to the fact that this this wellness strategy needs to work Mm. and I thought that's just again refreshing and honest and no matter how much personal pain he went through to say those words and the self-reflection it needed i just thought you know what that's that's pretty good going yeah
1: Yeah. what's um what's interesting for me you know and i think all of us agree on this and and again this is a separate topic and a a whole separate episode is the importance of of mental health awareness yeah and the fact that we need to start talking about this and we need to start doing more about it but i think there's a little bit of a concern that we've all got and and you know Andy, I don't know if you maybe want to take this one, but around privacy concerns and discrimination, you know, there's still such a, I don't know, there, there, there's there's all of this negativity attached to yeah. mental health specifically. It's mm-hmm. like it's okay to come out and say you're diabetic but it's, it's still frowned upon to say that you, you know, suffer from depression. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so in terms of the negative press that we've got and yeah, the discrimination yeah. and concerns around privacy breaches, you know, um, how does that actually then fit with a strategy that's going to deliver benefit to the employees that really need it most and to yeah. employers? Oh,
0: wow. I- I'm going to use part of your answer that you gave a- earlier on, right? I just warn you <laughs> beforehand, okay? Um. Because actually, once you've decided that you want to do the wellness strategy in a business, the next big challenge that you've got is actually how do you make it accessible, which you talked about, I think, uh, Deborah mm. as well. How do, you, how do you make it such that it's not one size fits all? And, and the reason I say that is that this is where the discrimination comes in straight away. And what one of the really easy discrimination things is if you just turn around and say arbitrarily, right, OK, we're going to have a, a tobacco cessation program. That's well, mm. great. Well, mm-hmm. I've never smoked a thing in my life. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, me so, either. So, so but, but, good luck yeah, to all of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> go enjoy. Serious. But you know, it's it, it's of absolutely no benefit or use to me at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and again, so straight away, I am cut out of that. the 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 discrimination is there to begin with, but also it it becomes more than that as to if you're doing health screening programs, for example, and you're using BMI measurements. Well, BMI has yeah. got its whole. Other side of critics as well.
1: Listen, you don't need a BMI measurement to realise that I'm a big girl. Okay, you can just eyeball.
0: (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. But but it's true though that these these things very very quickly actually alienate people from the wellness program that you're trying desperately to to help people out with. So so the discrimination is 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 there straight away. And and you mentioned uh, the EAP, Deborah. Okay. Yes. Now eap has all different strands to it and um one of the favorites for an eap program is to have access to some sort of online or on on phone telephone counseling service Uh, and it's kind of been the starting point why people bring in an eap in the first place and one of the greatest challenges with that counseling service straight away is who owns the data from it okay so actually as an employee what i say where does that get back to And I'm not talking about the dirty detail of what I've said, but actually, whichever box it's been ticked, is it a family issue? Is it an addiction issue that I want to talk about? Mm. Is it some mental health issue? Because actually, the the business has got to be really clear with people whereabouts that kind of privacy of of that data sits. And. One of the things that has always <clears throat> caused huge challenge for businesses is when people say, "Hey, listen, we've got the resources in house. We could, we, we've got counsellors. We can just do this ourselves." Well, that's even worse because now you've got people directly on your payroll rather than indirectly through a contract. Mm-hmm. And again, the uh, and and the reason why I say that's worse is it, it the effort that you've got to go through as a business to convince your employees about their privacy is mm-hmm. now more difficult. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so I,
1: I think I, absolutely. I think this is almost a, a, an a, an additional um, angle and dimension to psychological safety, because you know, for me, it, it, we, we, we talk about discrimination, and it's not just discrimination in the in the simple sense of exclusion. Yes. It's also discrimination in the sense of um, me coming out and saying that I have. You know, I mean, and I'm very private about this. Um, I think this is the first time that I'm going to say this on a public forum. I have suffered from depression since Mm -hmm. I was 15. And I have been on medication since I was a teenage girl, you know, and it's not something that I talk about. And with all of the work that I do around authenticity and leadership, it's still not something that I feel comfortable enough. To talk about openly because, the, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that that's not what I want to be known for, you oh, know, I get that. I get um, that. because it becomes a label. But also, um, unfortunately, here in South Africa, especially, understand that we're we're a couple of light years behind the rest of the world in certain um, respects. And okay. mental health is one of them. It will be a severely career-limiting move for me- out and say that I have these challenges, and yeah. some days I'm just not, I'm just not okay, um, which is really heartbreaking. Because it would be so much better for me and everyone that I work with if <clears throat> I could be honest about those things. And I think <clears throat> this is a this is an element of psychological safety. Where if we're going to say we're committed to wellness as a company, um, it comes back to culture as well. It needs to become part of our our organization's DNA, and yeah, yeah. we need to speak about. It's not OK, just like it's not OK for, you know, for us to shame Hiten because he's a vegetarian <laughs> and, you know, he's not coming with us for yeah. to steak Wednesday. Yeah. You know, it's it's also not OK to shame someone who who is c- carrying a few extra pounds or yeah, yeah. who is yeah. battling mental health issues. I, yeah. I think there's there's an element of that as well.
0: Well, listen, Deborah, uh, hats off to you, OK? Uh, I have total respect for you, you know that anyway. And uh, I'm glad that you, uh, that, that you feel safe enough to talk about that, uh, that in this podcast. So um, listen, I hope that people actually listen to that and actually take uh, some strength from what you've just said there, that uh, people do people do have these, whether uh, you're suffering from depression, whatever it is, for many, many years. And uh, again, I'll take my hat off to you for, for sharing that. And hopefully other people will reach out to you, maybe, and uh, share their experience as well offline, and um, yeah, good for you, good for you. Hitan, anything?
2: No, I think it's something that affects mental health, just, I, I know perhaps we might be doing a different podcast on on, on this, but I think it's, it's, it's well worth, it. it's a massive, massive area. It is, yeah. Just to say that, you know, the stigma attached to it is, I think, especially in the UK, getting getting a lot less a lot more communities are speaking about it and being open uh, o- open about it which is which yeah. is a great thing but it but it affects us all um i think that i think there's a scale right there's a the you know, you know from starting with low level feelings of negativity to stress to anxiety to worry mm. you know and then just increasing into you know sort of major m- major issues and major long-term yeah long-term things and and there's so much misunderstanding behind it as well um but but I do think I do think on the positive side that things are actually people are at least the the most important thing is being able to talk about it and I think a very restricting constraining thing because you spend so much of your time at work don't you yeah and you know your relationship with your manager or your boss is very very important and that can have a massive strain on people's psychological health and well-being. Oh, you know, yeah. if you can't open, yeah. you can't, you know, you're, you've got an unapproachable boss. And how do we change that? How does yeah. the business, how does the business and the uh, organization recognize that, look, you know, we've got to get the right people. We've got to mm. get the right people in place, not just taskmasters that, you know. Yeah. So let, let, let me ask you both
0: this then. And I know that we're kind of straying off topic here, but I really want to, to ask you this. Because it's something that again I I kind of worry and think about quite often. Mental health first aiders, fantastic, right? Love it. Love the idea, love the concepts, love the fact that people have a definitely a go-to to uh, to kind of break a cycle of, you know, they they have they've, they've got thoughts that they want to discuss with someone, they don't know who to do it, who to speak to. And and as you say, you spend a lot of time at work and actually having the mental health first aiders at work really gives people that sort of frontline option. What's your views about actually those uh, mental health first aiders seemingly to be all HR people?
1: See, I, I'm kind of okay with it. I think it, it potentially, I mean, I, I've seen, and this is not something that we have in South Africa at all. Like I say, we don't even talk about mental health here. Yeah. And if we do, it's like a whole big thing. Um, and, and then the big part of that is cultural. But... What I like about seeing, and I mean, I saw that that MHR and people first. You guys have got your mental yeah, yeah. health first it yeah. is and it's open to everyone to participate in. But I think it's something that naturally HR people tend to gravitate towards,
2: yeah. partly
1: because of academic background. You know, a lot of us have got degrees in industrial and organizational psychology, or sure. um, psychology as as a, as a, a whole. Um, a lot of us are, um, you know, coaches. Yep. um and and mentors so it's something that we that we naturally gravitate towards so I'm cool with that that's not a problem for me um as long as the opportunity is open to everyone and I think um I would like to see a world in which everyone is trained actually mm. to become a mental health first aider um that everyone has got those skills almost like almost like peer coaching skills you know yep. so that if if you're you know Andy mm. not comfortable speaking to me as your HR person but mm. he 10 is you know your, your your best mate at work that you can kind of open up to him and he's got some basic skills to help you you know yeah I would love yeah. to see that I, yeah. I
2: think I, I think there's a little bit of a problem sometimes with a HR person being the, the 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 mental health first aider because if you think about the role of HR as a you know in its wider sense. HR is there to protect the interest of the company. Correct. That's 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 basically if you know it's 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 yes care for people engagement you know all of that sort of stuff. But when when the bottom line is HR is there to protect the interests of the of, of the business. And it's 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 like the point you made early uh, made, made earlier, Andy, about you know do you feel completely completely comfortable, complete completely at ease opening up and speaking to this uh, person that's part of the hr function about your uh, mental well-being i think a more powerful thing for a business to do would be to invest is to say look um you know create some options to say you know yeah. we've got this range of therapists counselors coaches that you can go to and you have a choice and we and, and the company will pay for you to, to 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 actually do that something something along those lines i, I think that's I- really powerful
0: yeah, I, I I hear what you're both saying, and I I get that, that. This is why I kind of sit here and wrestle with it about where where the right person, where the right role is for it. And the only thing I get back to is that some years ago, again, I worked at a place where yeah, you know, there, there was a there, there was a, a, a worry about bullying, and I think that it was a genuine worry. And you know what we put in place was. Um, that rather than just have, as at the time it was equal ops advisors, rather than just put them at the role of HR, we actually kind of distributed that role and made it sort of departmental. So there was trusted folks in each department that people could go to. In most departments in in the business, you have kind of a, a big brother or a big sister that is you know, one of the most approachable people, probably been there for a long time, et cetera. Just go, it's a matter of picking the right people and just to give people a different option. Not, I'm not saying it was the only option, but it was just a different option than, than HR just to go and actually talk things through with. So I've seen I've seen both approaches. I think I favour the fact that having a wider pool of people to talk to, as you say, uh, Deborah, the peer type approach. I think that yeah. that is the, the the right way to go. And I think that's what I'm describing as well. And and I think that that combined with a, a more stable professional uh, level of MHFA is, is probably the right way as well.
1: Yeah, just just have access to the resources, Correct. you know, or just yeah. have a just have everyone aware so that your mate can say, you know, Andy, I've noticed recently that you're displaying signs of burnout. Yeah, you know, have you called these people? Have you, you know, um, I, I think just also that preventative approach, being yeah, yeah. more proactive, is 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 gold.
0: No, wonderful, wonderful. Um, I have a feeling we could keep going with this. Um, and as we keep saying. I think we will do part two to this. OK, uh, so let's let's pause there, because I think that we've given people half an hour of stuff to actually go away and think about. And for everybody listening, <clears throat> um, please reach out to myself, Deborah or Hiten or Ian Moffat as well. We we do have some experience in this, <clears throat> probably vast experience between us. Um, so please do reach out and come and ask you questions and let's see. If actually we can uh, we can help people out think about what they're going to do for wellness within their business. Ian, uh, what's a leader's role in a
3: wellness strategy, please? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, um, well, first, you know, wellness, well-being, whatever you choose to call it, it's it's a is a huge, broad subject as we've yeah, yeah. already talked about, right? Yeah. Um, most emphasis, and quite rightly, um, is in the area of mental and physical well-being. Yeah. Um, uh, but its reach is really extensive. So what I I kind of want to shine a bit of a light on is more about enabling individuals, teams, and organisations. Okay. Okay. Um, so I will ask, answer the question, but I just want to set a, you know a few foundations on the thought process around this. So mm. you know, if you start focusing on the, on potential, and yeah. you start thinking about the realising of that potential you're also starting to think about the outcomes um and the reason i and the reason i think that's important is because there are there is still so many industries Mm. so many organizations with those industries that do focus so much on the input measures oh always yeah yeah yep yeah. So that achieving a potential, doing that in a sustainable way, you know, when you use the sustainable word, it makes it a little bit different. Yeah. does require, uh, you know, a broad combination of factors you of know, around, you know, around management training and the style. Uh, you, we just mentioned it, but the things that you measure do have a, a really important impact. Skills and development is really important, I think, in this mix. Supporting systems, you know, so uh, I don't yeah. mean necessarily technology systems, I mean the organization supporting systems and you know my my favorite area all of that gets glued together through the culture and what i mean by the culture is a really practical guiding framework that says this is what how this is what we do around here and how we do it because you know you know if you're going to if you're going to focus on that well-being strategy you need to think about what are some of the cultural cues around what is acceptable what isn't acceptable okay Mm. um I was just going to jump
0: in there and just say that I love I love the notion that, that you've raised about skills, because skills is something that, um, you know, we, I think we have talked about the fact that managers need appropriate skills to be able to to help people to go out and identify situations, and uh, and that's a really important one for me, so it's it's great to hear that, and I get the fact that there's, there's a fine balance of three or four things that you said there, knitted together with the culture, but yeah,
3: I just wanted to highlight the skills here, and I think that's a critical one. Yeah, totally agree, mate and you know uh, clearly we know there's a there's an absolute a uh, defined relationship between improved choices from a work-life yep. point of view um you know inclusive of physical exercise diet um you know having the space clear in your schedule to just think to recuperate, to recover. So that there's some great stuff from sort of sports sports psychology on on maintaining that that oh, yeah. levels of energy, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah, we we probably haven't got the time to go into the details. That, that that's, that's
0: another podcast. itself. It is, right it is exactly.
3: <laughs> but you know the relationship then, and I use the term relationship with management and the organisation is really important as well, because what we're really getting into is is a uh, lots and lots and lots of threads around how we feel about our relationship at work and how satisfied we are with that. So when you when you start to look at it from that point of view, mm. you know, um, the two are tightly interwoven, you know, the mental health and well-being aspects of that and how motivated you feel and the people that you work with in the team, how they feel in terms of that morale. And that has a massive impact around retention, reduction of absenteeism, yeah. overall productivity, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, we've we've talked at length already about uh, productivity, uh, mm-hmm. but again, it's great that you highlight uh, again the the recruitment and retention, uh, and the retention being the really key factor there. You really want to keep all of the people you've already got.
3: Well, exactly. You know, so so there's 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 a there's a huge swathe of um, uh, evidence out there, research over the last 20, 30 years around the good that comes from getting this stuff right yep. and you know, conversely the, the significant impact not on the immediate just on immediate productivity but on the long-term health societal impacts is this so um, yeah. look when you, you let's just carry on with the problem state for a minute so you add into that if you've got lots of organizations focused on things like input measures like shifts and working time and duration as measures you add in the work life around um not just technology because so i think it's an easy thing to say hey we're the kind of always on generation we've got smartphones Mm, social mm. media we've got email at the start of the day right we've got email at the end of the day we're always catching up on email um you know but then think about affordable housing and think about the the shift where people are moving slightly further and further away and the complexities around commuting when you put all that together actually the 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 time that's allocated to the aspects of work has has really increased okay yeah. so um that's probably enough about challenges let's start to bring it back to the things that we can have some yeah, control definitely. influence of in the world of work So. Um, I, I want to go back to this enablement piece and about unlocking potential. And I think I really strongly believe that you know if we if we focus on that optimization of that day to day process, and most importantly, doing it in a very transparent way, so the yeah. individual is actively involved and a participant in that. So what I mean about it is things like simple things like having honest conversations around strengths. Yeah. Going back to that developmental needs, mm-hmm. really understanding the aspirations, and then what we get into is some really great stuff around starting to craft where the person is best placed and what they want to achieve. Okay. Sure. And, and the reason for that is because I think you 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 can't just instantly switch this on, but what you can do is you can create a pathway to helping people unlock their potential. Be yeah. more productive, and and I think you know logically. And there's a, there's a great book out there I've been reading, uh, Andrew Barnes and Stephanie Jones's book, The Four Day Week. Obviously, they, yeah, great work, great. Lots and lots of research and a really compelling argument about the actual productivity of work and and the Mm. factors which can make us equally or more productive right so you unlock that potential you get that uh, natural processes that people can adopt through having transparent conversations and you're going to get more productivity and logically what you should do is actually gain back more quality time so you know just getting towards answering your question from a from a satisfaction and happiness point of view, because that's part of this, right? Oh, I, I love the fact that you brought in happiness there. yep, Yep. because because yep. You, you know if you can enable and you can empower people, you know, and in the in the wellness agenda, that is is that includes things like financial well-being as well. Of it
0: does. Yep. yes,
3: absolutely yep. and career well-being. So shared control over career path um, it, it also starts to allow people to have a greater sense of control of working towards mastery and having some autonomy and we we know there's there's loads of great books out there around uh you know what truly does motivate individuals so um i think all of that really does go holistically to work to better mental health uh well-being motivation productivity satisfaction so um you know it it should absolutely result in Uh, better job satisfaction it will result in better productivity and that should be converting through organizations into a smarter more balanced way of work life so so to your question sorry a little bit of a long one but i just wanted to sort of set the foundations
0: that's that's cool they're good foundations but go on hit us with the real answer now
3: (laughs) it's business performance and impact right yeah, you know, good well-being is supported by a wealth of evidence that says you, you're gonna you're gonna reduce your costs, you're gonna reduce your risks. Your long downstream costs around insurability, etc., are gonna be way better. You're yeah. going to get enhanced productivity at an individual team yeah. and organizational level. Better motivation and morale, better culture, you're gonna attract better people as well. So the yeah. the the downstream consequences of having this as a focus is really important. So the leadership role. Amongst all yeah. the others, you know, in our in our podcast today, I believe is to continually develop and harness that good culture, enabling that business performance of the individuals, teams, and the organisation. Um, you know, and and we kind of need to be having those honest conversations with people about where they best they where they best can be and what they want to do, because the world's going to get more agile, it's going to get mm-hmm. more innovative, and we need to understand you know, how we as an organisation can best adapt to that. So, so well-being is fundamental part yeah, of yeah. creating no. the right environment for all that.
0: No, too true. And as we mentioned at the start, the, the, the wellness for today, we've already said, uh, is the widest possible variant of that. So we're including all sorts of aspects in there, well-being inclusive as well. So it's interesting Ian, that what you're talking about really is the, the leader's role is creating the environment in which wellness strategies can flourish and uh, are supported by not only the processes within the
3: organization but also the managers as well at all levels. Is that, is about that a good summary. It, it's a great summary. The one thing I would add to that yeah, is to say thanks. that that wellness is fundamental to unlocking potential and our leader's job is to is is ultimately to uh, be custodian of that good potential that good performance that 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 good culture that allows performance to flourish so the two things are fundamentally linked. Got it. Got it. So environment and flourishing potential. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Coming up next is my favourite part of the uh, the podcast because I always learn something new and that's the resources. So every week we, we intend to do is to leave you with some resources to go away and read and consume, listen to. And uh, Deborah, I'm going to start with you this week, please. Uh, what would you like to leave everybody with? <laughs>
1: two things and neither of them involves reading or anything. Okay. So uh-huh. f- so firstly there's this amazing app that is completely free. I have been following it for years even before they launched. I was excited about the whole concept and then when they launched of course That's I good. had to try it out for myself. Yeah. It is called WoBot. It's W O E B O T. Okay. It is this AI that does cognitive behavioral therapy. amazing for free and on your phone and it is just really amazing and this cute little robot checks in with you every day and you know checks out how you're doing and does these small little things that a therapist would do with you so i advise everyone um all of my clients everyone especially if you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious right now during COVID 19 um, or you think that you might need some help but you're not sure Wobot is amazing and you don't have to worry about who's got your data and who in the company, you know, is is it going to be a career limiting move? Got it.
0: And we're going to put all the links to these in the show notes, by the way, everybody.
1: Yes. And then the other thing that is really, really cool is um, this amazing guy in the UK that you guys might have heard about. Um, his name is Rob Stevenson. And I'm actually busy messaging him on LinkedIn right now, like a bit of a stalker. So <laughs> Rob himself is is a, a very big he is one of my connections, okay? So it's not oh, really that's right. stalking that's okay. as much as it is reaching out to your yeah. connections.
0: I, I was just about to so give a disclaimer that, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> Rob is a self-professed mental health campaigner, and he's also the developer of a tool called the Form Score. Um, and he's got this, um, this organization, which is called the inside Out leaderboard, which is a social enterprise that really has the mission of ending the stigma of mental ill health within the workplace. So Rob does amazing work and we're going to put a link to, um, the, the form score tool and he's busy telling me, and I know this is really bad for editing purposes, um, but he's busy telling me right here, um, so yes, he's given me a, a special link that we can share um, with all of our listeners. That's wonderful. Um, that we're going to drop in into the the, um, the description. Yeah.
0: We will absolutely do that. That's that's brilliant, and uh, I look forward to uh, getting familiar with Wobot and uh, seeing what it can do for me. I like the sound mm-hmm. of
2: it. It's so, awesome. So uh, thanks for that, Deborah. Hitan, what have you got? Brilliant. Uh, similar to similar to Deborah, I haven't got any books this time, although there's plenty of great books around uh, wellness and well-being. But um, if anybody has not tried Headspace, the app, oh, yeah. the,
1: yes, the,
2: the, the mindfulness, the mindfulness app. I know there's a massive uh, sort of um, a lot a lot of talk and discussion around mindfulness, and, and it's something that I I, I also teach, and um, it's a very very powerful tool, and. Mindfulness is not just sort of you know sitting cross-legged, closing your eyes, and going oh, you know, as people might think it is. It's a very, very practical, yeah. uh, well-researched um, sort of uh, way of dealing with stress and anxiety. And Headspace, the app, uh, is a fantastic uh, for those that haven't tried it. And I think they have some free elements to it as well, where you can try yes, some uh free sessions but it can help you with your stress help you um just get have an introduction to mindfulness um and it's a wonderful app that i think that those of you that have not tried it should 100 try it so, so I definitely
0: one. endorse that i know several people that use it on a daily basis and uh yeah we'll we'll
2: definitely post the link to that as well fantastic fantastic and then and then the other thing i was going to mention just in terms of um wellness and 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 overall well, well-being, is for people generally to make a schedule <laughs> um, yeah, i think the thing, I, I think the biggest thing that you can do for um uh, especially in these times if you're working from home if you are um you know maybe are not as busy as uh, you would be under normal circumstances and you know there's a lot of uncertainty around uh, 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 around things then the biggest thing you can do is to make a schedule make a things to do list you, you know have a plan for the day yeah uh, and, and I think that can help you tremendously. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. Th- that is
0: that is one of the most simplest things that anybody can ever be reminded to do, but actually probably the most impactful. So yeah, thanks thanks for that. Ethan. Um I'm going to contribute a book uh, as always. I'm going to contribute uh, Wellbeing at Work uh, by Carrie Cooper and he Hesketh. Carrie Cooper is is an academic and author that I've read a load of his stuff. He appears um, every now and again on. BBC Breakfast and News talking about uh, all, all sorts of items, but he is just one of those people that I could listen to for hours. And uh, you know, when I read read the books, I can I can kind of still hear him saying the words. So, it's a it's a great book. And the the bit that I talked about at the beginning of psychological, physical, socii- sorry societal and physiological. Uh, well-being all come from that book, so I really uh, recommend that if people want to read more about that, then that's a, a really good starting point. And um, then a, a podcast. I'm going to leave people with a podcast today, and of course, it's it's by Gary Turner, which, um, which oh, we, we love all know. Gary. We all love Gary, yes. right? Gary's podcast is amazing. Gary's amazing, and his podcast is called Value Through Vulnerability, and. I'd, I'd love people to go and listen to that because there's some amazing discussions on there that he has. And as an individual himself, when you actually listen to him and you know, hear his story and everything, it's uh, it, it's inspirational. So um, there you go. So those are the two things that I'd like to leave everybody as well. Um, so that's the resources. I, again, they're all going to be posted in the notes below. Uh, please do take your time. Go and have a look at them. Really encourage
3: you to uh, download some of those as well. Ian, over to you. What's your resources that you want to leave us with? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh, just the one this week. Um, I mentioned it earlier. Um, it's called the Four Day Week. It's by Andrew Barnes with and yep. contribution from Stephanie Jones. Uh, you know, uh, easy to get hold of. Um, great on Audible as a downloaded really? downloadable book as well. So, so when you've got those long commutes, uh, yeah, you can, you can get some good quality time in as well. It's, it's interesting, Ian. there's uh, there's a few people that I know that have read
0: that. Uh, there's one of my colleagues currently reading it at the moment, and uh, I know that he's he's enjoyed the read so far. Uh, so I, I feel it's another one that I'm going to end up ordering on Amazon when I'm uh, typing up the show notes and putting all the links in at the bottom. So, yeah, <laughs> so, thanks really? for contributing that one. Thank you. Thank you for l- listening to Leadership, the Future and Tea. Uh, with myself, Andy Davis, uh, Hiten and Deborah and Ian Moffat as well. On our next episode, we're going to talk about social. And please, if you want to uh, click on to the next one on the playlist, we're going to have a bonus session, which is looking at what are the good and novel examples of wellness initiatives. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Hiten and Deborah. Um, we'll speak to you guys uh, next week. Thank you. Thank you. That's all folks. Please subscribe through Google Podcast to keep up to date with our future episodes. Bye for now.